0: On today's episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Kimberly Siegel joins me from Oregon and we're going to kind of talk about imposter syndrome and how that affects a majority of people out there, yet we don't necessarily talk about it a whole lot. Those high standard, high achieving, high goal people, how do you fail or how do you celebrate the small victories versus just the big ones. So listen in and let us know what you think about it. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining in to another Her Wild Outdoors podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to have Kimberly Siegel with me. And we are going to be talking about a couple of things. But one thing that... Um, I don't think we talk a whole lot about or even enough about. We're going to be talking about imposter syndrome a little bit later. So uh, enjoy this podcast. And Kimberly, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for being to be here.
0: Well, tell us just a little bit about yourself, kind of how you have grown up, how the outdoors has been inspiring to you or how it's impacted you
1: yeah I grew up um out in the country on about 80 acres combined and it backed up to um some BLM land mm-hmm. so I grew up really outdoorsy but without much direction it was sort of you know the the latchkey 90s kid where you're kicked outside and yeah you know you got to figure it out for yeah. yourself um when I was growing up, one thing that I was really interested in was horses. So I made that a huge part of my life. And that's where a lot of my like knowledge of the outdoors came from.
0: Yeah. The part where the 90s latchkey kid, I, <laughs> I was born in the 80s. Well, 80, so almost the 70s. But it was the same thing. It was the mom put a cooler of water. It was the old igloo one that you could press the button and water comes out of. And she put that on the back porch. Yeah. And it was like don't come back till dark or until I whistle for you. That was kind of our, <laughs> if you're going to be. Yeah, that was
1: absolutely, absolutely. I grew up next to some cousins who, and everybody, everybody was, you know, I was the only girl, except there were a few girls younger mm-hmm. than me, but quite a bit younger. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up really pretty rough and tumble with all of the boys. Yeah. Um, and just kind of had to keep up. But to me, it, it wasn't different. I didn't realize that you know, that there was this whole world where girls were kind of supposed to be girls and and not play like I played and not be rough and not, you know, shoot guns and know the things that I knew. So it was a really ideal way. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. It's uh, it is one of those. I didn't grow up with guns because we were in the city, but we grew up playing fort Mm -hmm. and we grew up with sticks in our hands as if they were guns. And we grew up all over the neighborhood building forts. So you'd have one fort on this side of the neighborhood and one on that. And it was war. Like we were playing war with each other or backyard football or whatever it was, but it was we were in a huge neighborhood of boys as well. And so it was just like, that was just what we did. We played hard and we got hurt and we got, um, you know, dirt rubbed into those, those cuts and there were bruises. I don't think I, I don't think there was a time that I was not covered from at least the knee down in bruises.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yep. (laughs) Yep. It was a really like ideal kind of way to grow up yeah. though, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I think it set me up for a lot of success in mm-hmm. life. Just little lessons that you learn along the way. You know, there's a lot more grit in growing up, playing really tough.
0: No, I agree. I think that that's uh, that's the difference between our generation that are adults now. And the kids that are Mm -hmm. being brought up now, you're going to see that grit unfortunately change to where – and you are seeing it now kind of in some of the workforce that's coming in in their early 20s, 21, 22, 23, that feel like they're entitled to um, a job or entitled to a promotion or without working for it and – I think that's very unfortunate.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I see it with my own kids. So I have Mm -hmm. um, a 12, seven, and five year old, and we live in a neighborhood now. I mean, we're very outdoorsy, but they don't have the same level of like fall down, scrape your knee, brush it off, and go. You know, they want a lot of attention around their scraped knee. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's different.
0: It is. And I don't think, I think we as parents can do as much of a good job as we can. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm not a helicopter parent, but with some Mm -hmm. of the scary things that are out there living so close to people, I keep a more fervent eye on my kids, but I still want Mm -hmm. them to go out and, and get hurt. Because I don't the yeah. the smaller hurts are better than one big hurt if you don't know how to handle yourself in a circumstance like that
1: absolutely, yeah. yeah, and I mean you you just have to you know there's there's no way to just let them roam around anymore, and that's what I grew up doing, but it's just not as safe as it used to yeah. be yeah it's
0: unfortunate um I remember, and my mom reminds me, you know, we still had bad people back then. And and I said, yeah, but there weren't as many people around. And you didn't have the internet where people could find out where you are because they're creepers. And yeah. you aren't um, exposed to people across the, the nation or the world as you are now if you allow yourself that. Um, and so, you know, I was – the story now is gone on my page thank goodness but I was pointed out at one point I had mail in my hand in a story and it Mm -hmm. just a small movement of my hand when I was talking and it showed the piece of mail so if you screenshot it you could tell where I was from and I'm yeah. usually very careful about that, but I didn't even think about a piece of junk mail being in my hand while I was talking. And uh, you know that doesn't just affect me; it affects my family, it affects the people that I live around. It you just have to be more aware these days.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be on Instagram and in the public light, you have to be really aware. And I experienced the same thing. I always flip. You know, I work for a couple different companies and um, we wear name badges. And if I ever, you know, post a story or take a picture in my scrubs, I always make sure that I flip my yes. name badge around. Yeah. Partly because our company is pretty strict about, you know, their social media policy. And partly because I don't want anyone to know any more than me than I give them.
0: Right. You don't want somebody meeting you in the parking lot of where you work. Um, Or know where your kids go to school or like, those are just Mm -hmm. things that I don't know. That's not even in the hunting community. That's everywhere. That's just safe. It's just safe practice. If you're going to be on the internet, (laughs) then you have Mm to kind of be aware of that. Um, Well, so you grew up shooting guns, growing up on land. How did hunting start infiltrating your life?
1: Yeah, hunting actually started early and late for me. Mm-hmm. Um so early on my dad's side of the family was very into hunting but it was um you know when I was young it was definitely something that like the guys did yeah. and not necessarily something that the women did mm-hmm. and and they would go along and you know sometimes they would pack a gun or you know but they just weren't wasn't as encouraged which is very I feel like very common for that
0: generation.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was around hunting. I've never been opposed to hunting in any way, but I also just didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even something on my radar. Um, I was pretty outdoorsy. Um, I love to kayak and I recently climbed, um, Hager mountain. Um, I love to hike mm-hmm. everything that has to do with the outdoors. I kind of soak up. So when I met, Martin who's my boyfriend now um he talked to me about the different types of hunting that he does and I was like yeah well maybe you know I'll hike along and bring a camera and like I'll take some pictures or whatever but like I'm, I'm really not into it you know it's not my thing I was very and also I have definitely like a strong feminist portion of myself Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do something just because that's what my boyfriend Mm -hmm. did. I was very like cognizant of being, you know, aware of (laughs) like not letting him just influence me completely. Um, My sister actually hunts also, and she offered me a bow that they had that was older, but, you know, it was actually the right size for me. I went and took it into the archery shop and had them get it set up and tuned for me. And the first time that I shot it, I fell in love. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even describe the feeling of just like releasing that first arrow, and it, it just—it's so different, and it's—it's it's absolutely something that I did not expect from myself. It's empowering. Um, oh, it's so empowering. Mm-hmm. It's like you have this weapon and it's not a gun. And even though I grew up shooting guns, it was always like, don't touch the guns. Don't, don't look at the guns wrong or they might go off. Mm. You know, it was very like, yeah, very don't touch them. They're dangerous. And so you grew up with a certain level of fear really versus respect, respect. like absolute fear. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with archery, you can see the mechanisms working, you know, they're on the outside. You can see what happens when I pull back and I release, you know, it's all very visual. It's not like a gun where the mechanics are inside and you have no idea what's really going on unless you know what's going on. So I shot my first um, arrow, absolutely got obsessed. I um, played with that bow for quite a while. It was an older PSC and um, I just couldn't ever like get it to work exactly how I wanted it to work. Um, and so I bought another used bow that was a little bit newer and I got that tuned up. And, you know, I was joked that like the first year of me becoming a hunter, I spent several thousand dollars <laughs> in clothes <laughs> yeah. and equipment and stuff because I'd never done it yeah. and you need, you know, you need a lot. Um, and that was just, you know, how the, the real obsession started. Um, I went to a ladies' hunting camp that Candy y'all puts on in um in Oregon here and met a ton of really amazing women and just got to feel like you know I wasn't alone in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when i first when I first started hunting, I felt like I was really rare because I'm just one woman who hunts and and while I know it happens, like I hadn't really heard of it that much. So it was great to get around all of these, these other women with similar interests and similar limitations and fears, mm-hmm. you know, being a woman, it presents different, different kind of circumstances than some men. Um, I did that over last summer and, um, then I, I've done two seasons of spring Turkey, which is my hands down, my favorite type of hunting
0: and the hardest, um, I think, in my
1: opinion, it's so hard. <laughs> I have yet to harvest and I'm actually really okay with that. I mean, the experience has been incredible. Just like you go out and, um, this last year I went out on my own for a couple of days and nights and, um, I ran out into the woods at, you know, eight thirty at night when it was still dark or when it was dark to locate a bird mm-hmm. that was roosted so that I could drop a pin so that I could run back out at five o'clock in the morning before it turned light. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry, who am I (laughs) running out of the woods by myself in the dark? Yes. Yes,
0: because you and I had talked before turkey season and it was, hey, I've got this coming up. And you were so excited because and kind of going back to that, your statement, being a feminist and being strong. And I think Mm -hmm. that people see and hear that word as a negative word sometimes and. Oh yeah. And it's easy to put a negative light to it, but it is one of those things that we kind of have to fight against because there's there's a sense of pride, but how far is that pride holding you back or is it pushing you forward? Yeah. It's a constant battle of balance. And it doesn't it's it's just a sense of empowerment and and strength and, and kind of holding each other up, but being an individual and, and being strong. And there's, there's a difference between need and want. And, you know, I don't need my husband to take care of me. I want my husband to take care of me. I want to have a partner that is loyal, that is, um, stable that i can lean on when i need but that's partnership it's not out of need that you're you're right. then talking about codependence or complete dependence versus a healthy relationship and so mm-hmm. when you're talking about being a strong woman in the hunting community, I agree with you. I did not hear of it often. I walked into my local hunting shops and they're completely like, whoa, you hunt? Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Or I walk into a bow shop and it's becoming a little bit more around here. We're from Tennessee. So, you know, Tennessee's a hunting mm-hmm. conservative state that encourages right. it. I think our governor even got quarantined and was bow hunting during deer season like it's a good place to live when you're surrounded by that but even living in an area like that it is few and far between that you know I'm not going to run into a fellow hunter um, who is a woman on a regular basis so you do have to kind of search out those groups you do have to lean into you know, how much am I letting somebody influence me, or how much is this my decision? Um, yeah. how much am I putting into this versus relying on somebody else? And again, it goes back to that that balance of um, what is the good, what is the goal and and what are we hoping comes out of it?
1: right? Mm-hmm. yeah, and i i'll I'll be the first to admit that. You know, Martin is my absolute favorite hunting partner. Mm -hmm. We go out and like words don't need to be spoken in the woods. We understand each other's language. And there's something really amazing about being able to do that with your partner. Yeah. And at the same time, I want to be able to go out on my own and want to be able to hunt the species that I enjoy hunting. He loves elk. I elk hunt, I did archery elk this last year. And to be honest, I didn't love it. I, you know, I would love to say that I did but I didn't, it just, for me was, um, maybe too technical. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm just not there as a hunter, but it just wasn't my thing. Turkey was definitely my favorite and it's not his, but, um, you know, that makes it so that I, I kind of get pushed out of my comfort zone and I'll go do these things on my own and also with him, you know, but, but, you know, when I say that I'm a feminist, it's not me hating men by any means. I mean, I think men are amazing, but I also think that women really need to be empowered. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of strength in being a woman. Yeah,
0: it's true. I think that I, I, again, I, I don't think that I can say it, Enough, that balance. but it is. And everything that we do, it's finding that balance. Do we step over the line sometimes, of course. Do we hold back sometimes when we need to push forward? Of course. But that's just learning. That's learning, you know how how many steps do you take forward? and how many steps do you end up taking back in order to find that happy medium? Uh, hunting yeah. solo <laughs> the first few times I hunted. I started solo. And so I can't there was a time and I don't know if you've heard it in a podcast before, but the first time I went hunting, I got out there and we have tree stands and that's what we had at the time. And I was climbing up and this the whole ladder was covered in fire ants. Oh my god. The whole ladder.
1: Yeah. And I what an experience.
0: I mean, okay, ants are teeny tiny. People are like, why are you afraid of ants? It's because there's so many of them. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, we have, you have your own things that you have little weird fears of, but ants are one of those. And I had to step out of that. Oh my gosh, they're covered. It's covered in fire ants to be like, okay, is this what you really want? And at that point in time, mm-hmm. it was that decision. Do I, do I want to keep going? Do is this really something I want to do? Is it worth conquering this fear um, and I think that that can be applied to each step along the way. Is it worth it to go out at eight at night by yourself in the dark and locate a turkey? is those little fears of what's walking behind you? is it worth taking that extra mm-hmm. step and man, when you come out on the other side of it, the feeling of accomplishment when you're solo is so much more it's enjoyable when when you're with somebody. But there's something that comes out of walking in and walking out alone that you can't replace. It's it's
1: yeah.
0: totally different, a totally different type of accomplishment. And honestly, every single time I do it, I kind of have to give myself a pat on the back because it's not something that I absolutely enjoy walking in by myself. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's pretty intimidating. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was funny because I was recording a story on Insta when I first got there and I, I was saying, you know, for me, the hardest part when I, when I get to my hunting spot is getting out of the truck.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like just the reality that I'm stepping out of the truck. Yes. I'm not in my safe space anymore. And then, you know, and so I'm recording and I'm saying like, you know. To be honest, like I, I wish I could tell you guys that I was being super brave right now, but I'm terrified. Yeah. And then I heard a gobble and I was like, OK, guys, I got to go. <laughs> and I took off and I was like, "That's, you know, that was enough. That's the motivation. It's perfect. This is why I'm here. <laughs> it's perfect. It was, it was great. Yeah.
0: No, I did that countless times. Not this turkey season, but the turkey season beforehand hunting on public land. I would drive up to a spot and I would sit in my vehicle for a good 10 minutes, kind of sucking myself up, Mm -hmm. and I there were a couple of times that I actually sat there until the sun started coming up, not like full-blown coming up, but just light, and I was like, why am I still sitting here? And it was just, man, I'm glad you said that, because it is that it's the stepping outside of your safe place and into something that you don't know what's what's on the other side. And I think that a lot of people, man, like men and women that, that feel that, I don't think anybody just steps out of their, their vehicle and goes, here we go. Um, yeah. When they're solo hunting, there's always that thought in the dark of, okay, I need to be ultra aware. I need to be, listening out watching my step do i have my light do i have my gun do you are you carrying do you have like what are what are your protection steps if something were to happen and that's humanity like there's nothing wrong with that that is instinct mm-hmm. that saves a whole lot of people when you come down to it oh yeah, yeah. definitely we're we're in a constant state yep. of fight or flight are you are you pushing into it or are you going to step back and stepping back isn't necessarily a negative thing it's just what is going to work for you in that moment
1: right mm-hmm. and you can't force yourself i mean to a certain extent you can force yourself but really i mean it's that positive self talk that psyching yourself mm-hmm. up that that allows you to like push through your comfort zone and really break out into something that feels It feels foreign. Yeah. You know, it's like trying to write with your left hand. It just, it just doesn't come easily. Agreed. Um, and the more that I've done it, the easier it gets, but not easier, you know, not easier quickly. It's a a slow process. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, if, if people and women, especially because I mean, for me, one of the fears is like other hunters, Mm -hmm. especially men in the woods, Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily animals. So I feel like, you know, if, if these women are really stepping out of their comfort zone and doing these solo hunts, like it doesn't matter what you're really feeling inside. The fact that you did it is such a huge accomplishment. Yeah, Yep. No, I agree. You can be terrified and still be succeeding. And that, that was tough for me to grasp. It was, I still felt like I still felt like a failure because I was afraid when I was in the woods, you know? So Uh, it's like I'm doing this huge thing and I realize that it's amazing. Uh And yet because I'm scared doing it, like on some level I'm failing.
0: No. I think that over the years that I've been hunting, I keep thinking to myself, well, this year's the year that I'm not going to feel that way. (laughs) I have done this enough. This year is the year that I'm just going to hop out of that car and go or hop or, Mm -hmm. you know, not wait until the last minute possible or, and it hasn't happened yet. So who knows, maybe one day, but I don't know. I kind of like that sense of um, being on the edge of my seat and being extra aware. I think that that, (laughs) even though there's a, a, an underlying fear that pulls it out of me, I think it's a safety mechanism as well. And so I never want, and it's a sensation. Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry. No, go <laughs> ahead. It's a sensation that you don't get to experience mm-hmm. very often. Yeah. There there aren't a lot of things that set my intuition on fire and my instinct on fire, the way that hunting solo does. Yeah. And it's, and it's both terrifying and an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that that's why, you know, taking our kids the past few years We have so much control over our lives that introducing them to things that they don't have control over um, is preparing them for different feelings along the way, whether it's in school and not being able to control how a teacher grades differently or how they think about them, whether it's, you know, decisions Mm -hmm. that you make. That or decisions other people make that affect you that you have no control over. So these are those life lessons that we learn along the way um, that I think set us up and set our kids up for life. Like there's so much that can be translated into life lessons from hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely would agree with that.
0: Yeah. We, you touched on on that, and it kind of throws me into one – like our main conversation came up when you know, I was just driving. I wasn't driving everybody. I was a passenger. But I was answering questions along the way, and you posed this question. And let me tell you, I read this and I went, thank you. Thank you for a mm-hmm. real – like, I love these kind of conversations, but you ask, do you struggle with imposter syndrome and what do you do if so? And it's something that you and I both talked about right after that, not just, you know, answering the question on a screen, but going back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's not something people really talk about because it's that inner monologue a lot that, We kind of have with ourselves, but it's not something that I would be like, hey, Kimberly, do you, do you uh, have this imposter syndrome thing? Like, it's not necessarily something that comes up in day to day conversation, yet it's something that a whole lot of people deal with on a day to day situation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I mean, it really came about, I don't know, probably a year and a half ago again on Instagram. Um, I follow a lot of different psychologists and one of them had mentioned imposter syndrome and I was like, well, you know, that's for high achieving people. Like, no, I don't have imposter syndrome, (laughs) you know, so whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Um, and then again, I was talking, um, with Gina of wild, well fed on Instagram and she had brought it up um and you know the more i thought about it the more i was like you know no this is actually something that i struggle with mm-hmm. um i hold myself to probably an impossible standard yeah. i mean i expect so much out of myself and i'm i'm an overachieving perfectionist mm-hmm. which sets myself up for a lot of of heartache personally just within myself mm-hmm. You know, it's those questions like, you know, do I deserve this, this A that I got on my assignment? Do I deserve people telling me that they think I'm an excellent mother Mm -hmm. and that they look up to me? Yeah. Um, You know, am I fooling people? Am I fooling myself? Uh, You know, is this all just a farce? Did I just get lucky? Did I end up here, you know, just by happenstance? Like... Heaven forbid I acknowledge that I have worked my butt off to get where I am in life, and to get the grades that I have. Um, And as far as parenthood goes, like you know, my daughter has cerebral palsy, my son has celiac disease, and I've been a single mom of three. So, yeah, I deserve to be called a good mom because I have I have done the things to set them up for success and and also set myself up for success and even saying that mm-hmm. it's like do i really believe that
0: <laughs> it's a constant I, it's that voice in the back of your head and i think you know like you said high achieving um or high achievers high standards high goal setters like those people who who set those impossible goals ahead of them that's kind of what the definition mm-hmm of a person who can have this, like that's, that defines who this person is. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have great grades. Like we, I don't think we talked about this in the beginning. You're in nursing school. Um, yeah. and nursing school is no joke
1: mm, at all.
0: It's it <laughs> It's very hard. Uh, I've walked along multiple people who have been through it. Um, I've had roommates who were in nursing school and it is Mm -hmm. like you come out a different person (laughs) than you went in and not, not just because you are now, you know, a registered nurse or whatever. It's you turn Mm -hmm. into a different person. Um, but it's, it's, are you the kind of person that looks ahead and says, I'm going to do that. And if you don't, do it. If you don't finish it, it absolutely crushes you. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it stops you in your tracks, and it it makes you feel like a failure. And and yes, I, everybody who, if you didn't see the stories, yes, I I struggle with it and have, and I think that it has evolved over time. Um I think that I have learned over time some techniques that have helped with being able to celebrate small victories along the way, and we can talk about that in just a second. But I think that at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with being that high-standard, high-achieving high goal setting person at all. In Mm -hmm. fact, those are the doers of our world. Uh, we need those types of people, but Mm -hmm. we also have to realize, and I think it's not necessarily something that like, I cannot, in all of my words, tell you, you are doing great and you fully believe it because it's something that you yourself have to work through. And, and visualize and hold to and and believe yourself, no matter what people say. It feels good for people to say it, but I'm constantly, when somebody tells me that, I go, oh, thanks. Or I make up an excuse of yeah. to kind of undersell myself or to undersell the compliment right. versus just
1: take the compliment. Um Oh, I just got lucky on that one, right. you know, type of thing. Right. Or, or yeah, it was great, but you know, I really wish it had kind of gone this other direction. I, know it. I would have felt better about that.
0: Yes. Yeah. yes. And it it not only undersells ourselves or under um appreciates what we've done, but it also kind of, I mean, if somebody's giving you a compliment, it kind of puts them down too in saying, Well that you
1: can't accept it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's, you know, thank goodness for therapy. I mean, yes. it it has, I think the inward looking and the, the ability to take that inner monologue out and process it, um, there's so many unrealistic things that come from that inner monologue that if you actually put it on paper, you'd be like, Well, that person's an idiot because of this, 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 and this, and yet we believe it every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's like you know, even if somebody else, you know, if I did fail at something, which I have, of course, yeah. um, But if I did, and somebody were like, "Well, yeah, that's," I mean, it's normal that you failed at that. You know that that happens all the time. That happens for a lot of people like them saying that still doesn't excuse the fact within myself that I failed mm-hmm. at it. It doesn't matter if I would excuse that for someone else. If my best friend, you know, failed at that thing. And I told her like, Oh, no worries. Like, of course, yeah. you know, that, that course is really hard or that situation's really, really difficult to navigate. I would excuse her, but I wouldn't excuse myself. Right. And that's what makes it difficult.
0: Yes. No, that's, that's a hundred percent. Right. And I think that, it's like a, having that double standard. It's like, well, it's okay, it's okay if you fail, but not for me. Well, does that then put me above somebody else? Is that making myself, like when I start thinking about it, am I like, wait, hold on. Is my standard for myself? myself? Yes. And (laughs) is that selfish? Am I being stubborn? Am Mm -hmm. I being like all these things then go through my mind? And I think that it's fairly normal. I think that if, you know, people are listening to this, they're going to be going, okay, do I do that? And I think to an extent, almost everybody does it. It's then your reaction and how you move after that that creates the person that you are um Mm -hmm. it's how you respond to that those voices that are saying well you're not good enough or you don't deserve that you know in the hunting really
1: picking apart right really picking apart that inner monologue like you know, do I actually believe this about myself, or is this a voice of potentially my past? Is mm. this a parent? Is this an ex? Yeah, whose voice I'm hearing yes. and projecting onto myself.
0: And it then, I mean, I think that that's where <laughs> therapy comes into it. Like, okay, is this a healthy response? Is this true? I mean, let's just go to the basis of it. Is it true? Is it, like you said, something from the past that you haven't processed through or something in the past that has truly made you who you are today? Because those can be good Mm -hmm. and bad. Um, I, I think that one way that I have tried to process through setting lofty goals, because I do it every year and I do it after in preparation for the new year, I set goals for the year. And I think the first year that I was hunting, my goal was to get a deer. That was it. Like that Mm -hmm. was the only goal I set ahead of myself was to get a deer. Well, I didn't get a deer. (laughs) It didn't happen for two years. And I beat myself up over it. Well, did I prepare enough? Did I pay attention in hunter safety. Did I, like, did I do something wrong? Was I too loud? Did my scent, like, all of these things, like, I did something wrong. That's why. Well, no, I didn't do anything wrong. It just didn't happen. Um, Or maybe I did do something wrong and it didn't happen and I just needed to learn. learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I think that I learned over time that yes, that big goal to get a deer is like, I'm I'm a huge fan of outlines because I love English and storytelling and writing and mm-hmm. all of that. So I love outlines. And so I kind of see getting a deer as, you know, that top tier, but then I have to make sure that I add little goals along the way, kind of like stepping stones to that big goal. So, Yeah. Um, This year was a huge part of that where I kind of stood back and said, okay, I've gotten a deer. I've gotten a couple of deer. It'd be great to get a big deer, but I think that I'd like to have a couple of other goals along the way. Like, I'd never taken an animal with a gun before, so it'd be kind of cool to mm-hmm. try that out, especially with a muzzle loader. It'd be really nice to to finally figure mm-hmm. something out on public land. Um, get one of my kids on a deer. Get give them opportunities that they've never had before. Um, take a hunt, like or change my um, one for this year was drop my field dressing time in half, like those little things that mm-hmm. actually are huge things. But to me, I'm like, well, that's just a stepping stone along the way. But it actually made right. this year so much more it, fun.
1: Yeah. It gives you an area to win. Yeah. You know, it gives you a win. Yes. You can check that off your mental list.
0: Yes. And it it was something that you also, and you and I talked about this you have to make sure that you celebrate those victories along the way. And and it yeah. it goes back to what you said about somebody giving you a compliment or saying something to you and you go, Ah, you know, I really hoped it went this way or I really was trying to do this. No. Take the compliment. Right. Take the victory and let's celebrate it. Let's, you know, go get drinks or go have dessert or something like that. Like really celebrate those small steps along the way. And I think that 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 kind of processes through. And even if you don't get that top tier goal, you see so much positive movement forward that it's hard to feel like a failure.
1: Yeah, and for me, there's there's also that reflection piece where you look back and. You know, I've been hunting for just over a year now. And I know what I'm doing in the woods and I can navigate mm-hmm. and I may not be able to harvest um, you know, the biggest buck or or even a buck or a animal at this point, but I can confidently, you know, kind of confidently, walk into the woods mm-hmm. and feel like I'm at least not a hazard. Right. You know, I'm at least not a liability. Mm-hmm. And that's and for that to happen over the course of a year um with you know several different species and and very limited hunting opportunities in Oregon to be frank yeah. um it's an accomplishment and it's a huge accomplishment mm-hmm. yeah well so i think you know making breaking it down into steps yes. and also looking back and making sure that you're acknowledging that you that you bypassed those steps and that you accomplished things
0: yeah i think that also as moms um I was looking at statistics on this before we had the podcast, and women are more likely to deal with this than men. I'm not saying men don't. Don't hear me that way, men. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the majority of the percentage of people that deal with this are women. And I think that when you become a mom – especially, I don't, I just, I feel the pressure on my shoulders a whole lot more than Mm -hmm. before I was a mom to get everything right, to not fail as a parent, to, (laughs) and of course we're going to fail as parents. Yeah, because,
1: (laughs) you know, on some level, if you fail as a parent, like you're affecting someone else's life. Right. Potentially for a really long time. And, and, hard to not want it to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I also have to look at it and say, and I think I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about this. If my kids don't see me fail. If they don't see me make mistakes and then and then react in a, the best way possible and and come back ask for forgiveness if I need to, or, or turn around and say, okay, Mm -hmm. I failed at that, but now I'm going to get back on and, and try again, or move in a different direction and problem shoot. Like if they don't see the positive side of failure, then what am I teaching them? A don't ever go outside of your comfort zone because failure is a no. Well, well, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, Or are we teaching them, you are going to fail, you are going to make mistakes, you're going to take, you're going to make a wrong decision, but it's how you then come out on the other side that is going to make you the person that you need to be. And I think that that's the most valuable thing that we can pass on, whether you are a parent or a mentor or a teacher, like whatever person you are in touching somebody else's life like that, the worst thing we can do is is show perfectionism, and and I think that that's yeah. that self reflection. Okay, am I holding myself to a standard that is being reflected in a in a negative way? How how yeah. are my choices? Are my kids yes. Only yeah. Perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Or are they seeing a bad response? Yeah.
1: On some level, I feel like when you do show them that it's okay to make mistakes, I mean, maybe you're breaking that cycle mm-hmm. of of this imposter syndrome. You know, maybe they can feel like it's okay to make mistakes.
0: Yeah. Yep. I it's a it's a touchy subject too. It's it's just one of those nobody wants to talk about feeling insecure or. Um, Mm -hmm. or feeling like you're a fake. We talk a lot about accountability in our house and we talk a lot about being genuine and truthful and honest. Um, And I think that social media in itself isn't (laughs) a pure form of honesty. It isn't a, a way that you can see somebody's real self. It It's the highlights most of the time. And so being able to be like, well, that sucked and I I didn't do a good job in that. Being able to be a new hunter and see that in another hunter, kind of, it doesn't show me that it's okay to do that. It shows me that that's normal in the learning process. And I'm not talking illegal. I'm just talking, you know, making small mistakes like getting scented or you know, leaving something back at the truck that you need and it busts your hunt up, uh, you know, these lessons along the way.
1: I can't tell you how much I appreciate when, you know, these, these Instagram accounts with, especially with a lot of followers and, you know, a lot of Instagram clout, if you want to call it that, admit to a mistake and a rookie mistake. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if they can make that mistake, then I, I certainly can. And I don't have to feel bad about Mm -hmm. it.
0: Or embarrassed. Um, that fear of not being perfect is very embarrassing because of our pride. I hate that thing, that little thing, that little pride thing that sits on the inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it really gets in the way of things. It really
0: does sometimes. And it's uh, the mistakes that are made along the way are sometimes not so gentle reminders that my pride gets in the way of of me getting somewhere that I could have gotten without it and should have gotten mm-hmm. there without it. It held me yeah. back versus pushing me forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I hate that. I, I, it is that constant, like you said, that constant reflection. And I think that that's something that within hunting and fishing, Or climbing, whatever you're doing in the outdoors, it's always good to, at the end of the day, reflect on that day. Or at the end of something that you're pushing into, to reflect on it. And to to kind of make a mental list of not just the things that you need to do differently, but the things that you accomplished along that way. And that goes along with celebrating those victories as well as learning from the mistakes. Both are extremely important. And I would hold them equally as important.
1: Yeah. I I would absolutely agree. Yeah. Knowing that you that you can accept a win. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, and not
1: feeling like it had to be the perfect win. Yeah.
0: Yep. I definitely think it's not easy. (laughs) Definitely not easy to do and and yet something that is a must. Well, what, is, what are some of your plans for this coming year?
1: Um, this year, it's a lot of focus on school. I'm in my second term, about ready to wrap up second term out of nine terms. Um, and I've been trying to do like a little something exciting at the end of every term to really motivate myself. And also, you know, like we talked about, celebrate those wins, you know, making it through finals each term. Um I went to I went to the sportsman show in Portland and I went entered in to win um a couple different things and I actually won a fishing trip to Alaska. What? So at the end of this term, yeah, at the end of this term, um July sixth, we fly out to Alaska and we're up there for a week. Um we're gonna go fishing at uh Birchroff Lodge. Mm-hmm and I'm super excited about that. I get to try out my fly fishing skills. I've literally only practiced uh, on land. I've never actually fished for everything.
0: You're one step further Um, than me. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's really fun. It's, it's therapeutic almost in the same way that archery is. It's a really kind of a beautiful thing. Um, Archery elk, of course, is coming up. Uh, I'll only be able to go out for a week for that, but I think most of that's going to be a solo hunt too. So that should be pretty interesting. Yeah,
0: I can't wait to Um, hear
1: about that. It's going to be great. You know, no matter what, it'll be a learn, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. I'm doing a little pheasant hunt with ODFW. They're putting on a women's um, seminar. And they provide all the, the dogs and um, the guns and everything. So it's just kind of another area of hunting that I want to explore. So I've got I've got quite a few little plans lined up. You do.
0: And I think that that's the best part. Like you said earlier, one thing that somebody loves isn't necessarily another thing or something that an, one person loves. And I, mm-hmm. you don't know until you try it, right? So – I don't know. I've We've always told our kids, well, let's try this. Let's try that. Whether it was soccer or karate or like, let's try it. You commit to it for a year and or to whatever that commitment, that season is and you finish mm-hmm. it. But you might come to the end of it and be like, well, that wasn't my favorite. I still love this better or I, I want to try something different next time. And hunting and fishing in the outdoors offer so many different things that you get to try, that you get to figure out, that you get to work through and learn, whether it's different landscapes or different species, uh, different styles of fishing, whether you're on a bank fly fishing or from a boat. I think that there's just so many different ways that you can try it out and figure out, is this something I love? I think that people sometimes give newbies a hard time because they're like, well, you're doing this, 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 and this, but you're not really an expert in any of it. Well, you might see them try it once, And they never do it again because it really just wasn't for them. And that's okay. It's Mm -hmm. perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that you would know that you didn't like it
1: or that you would love it. And I feel like there's, there's a lot of pressure, you know, when you hunt to love all of hunting, you know, love everything about it. And, and it's also okay not to, it's okay to have, you know, a favorite species or a favorite hunting style and, And maybe you completely step out of that for a season to hunt a completely different species and style because you love that. Like it doesn't, there's no assigned model to it. No,
0: It's so flexible. It is so flexible. And I, I don't know. I think that that's the most exciting part for me. If I'm a part of teaching somebody to hunt, I would love to be able to then come to them and say, Hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're learning this style of hunting. If you don't like it, I would still suggest try it again, but it just might not be what you love. But look at all of these other types of hunting or fishing that you can do. Don't just stop at one thing and say, well, I guess I'm not a hunter. This isn't my... This isn't my cup of tea. Well, hunting out of a tree stand might not be your cup of tea. You might not like to sit for hours on end waiting for something to cross your path. But you heck of a lot more might like stalking something and mm-hmm. being out there moving because it's constantly changing and you're going to something. Um, mm-hmm. I just – i I encourage people to try all different types of – of hunting, not just one, and then give up on it completely.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, mm-hmm. especially as a new hunter, especially as a female and someone who, you know, a lot of people will maybe look at me and be like, well, you don't really know what you like. Yeah. And and that's why I want to try everything, but also, you know, reserve the right to not like something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Reserve the right to say, hey, I tried that and it is not for
1: mm-hmm.
0: me. Or, exactly. Say, well, you are my significant other and I do want to do this with you, but why don't we keep trying a couple things until we find something we both like so that we can still have our own individual hunts that we do, but we can come together for this one thing that we love to do together. I think that's like, I think my husband and I have hunted deer once together and it is very much so a solo situation for me (laughs) now, especially after hunting with him once. We just hunt totally different, Uh, and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with it at all. There's nothing wrong with it. But we had so much fun hunting geese together and hunting ducks together because it is more social, and it's more we get to talk, and we get to hang out, and it's something that we do more similar and so it allows for more mm-hmm. enjoyment versus a constant reminder of the differences.
1: Yeah, it can be hard to hunt with your partner too. So <laughs> they, it,
0: there's this oh, moments. So, yep. Well, Kimberly, I appreciate oh. your time today. I think that I think that the conversation of imposter syndrome, or if you call it something else, whether it's um standards that can't be met or the ability to or the the inability to celebrate the little things along the way if you don't get the big thing. I think that that's a conversation that we 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 still need to keep talking about. And so I think, you know, anybody listening, if you struggle with this, reach out to either one of us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Both of us would because mm-hmm. the more we talk about it and the more we bring it to light and the more we make it Something that we can encourage each other on. Like if you gave me a compliment and I said, ah, you know, this, and you go, Amy, stop it. (laughs) Take the compliment. (laughs) It's a good reminder to have somebody who knows you to say, okay, you're being ridiculous. Just take the compliment. Mm -hmm. Say thank you. Enjoy the moment. Walk in that moment and relish in it for just a minute. Don't let it, don't let it pass by without Mm -hmm. taking it all in that's an important thing to be able to do
1: definitely yeah I I completely agree and um I love having the conversations I love having these more thought thought thought-provoking conversations about you know what really makes us who we are Mm -hmm. and so you know absolutely if somebody's struggling please reach out
0: yeah we can we can all support each other in it and call each other out on it. So, yeah. Kimberly, thank you. Hey, tell people how they can mm-hmm. follow you.
1: Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Kimberly Elaine 44. Um, most of my social media is through Insta. So. Yeah.
0: Yep. Well, I appreciate you and and I can't wait to follow you on this journey and continue to support you. And I can't wait to see. I want to hear all about this fly fishing trip. It's going to be in In Alaska. Alaska It's going to be amazing. Yeah.